0: Chapter two of Vera by Elizabeth. Von this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter two there was a seat under a mulberry tree on that little lawn with its back to the house and the gaping windows, and Wemyss, spying it out, led Lucy to it as if she were a child, holding her by the hand. She went with him indifferently what did it matter whether she sat under the mulberry tree or stood at the gate? This convulsed stranger, was he real? Was anything real? Let him tell her whatever it was he wanted to tell her, and she would listen, and get him his glass of water, and then he would go his way, and by that time the women would have finished upstairs, and she could be with her father again. I'll fetch the water, she said, as they got to the seat. No, sit down, said Wemyss. She sat down, so did he, letting her hand go. It dropped on the seat, palm upward between them. "'It's strange our coming across each other like this,' he said, looking at her while she looked indifferently, straight in front of her at the sun on the grass beyond the shade of the mulberry tree, at a mass of huge fuchsia bushes a little way off. "'I've been going through hell, and so must you have been.' "'Good God, what hell!' do you mind if I tell you? You'll understand because of your own." Lucy didn't mind. She didn't mind anything. She merely vaguely wondered what he should think she had been going through hell. Hell and her darling father, how quaint it sounded! She began to suspect that she was asleep. All this wasn't really happening. Her father wasn't dead. Presently the housemaid would come in with the hot water and wake her to the usual cheerful day. The man sitting beside her, he seemed rather vivid for a dream, it was true, so detailed, with his flushed face and the perspiration on his forehead, besides the feel of his big warm hand a moment ago and the small puffs of heat that came from his clothes when he moved. But it was so unlikely everything that had happened since breakfast was so unlikely. This man, too, would resolve himself soon into just something she had had for dinner last night. And she would tell her father about her dream at breakfast, and they would laugh. She stirred uneasily. It wasn't a dream. It was real. The story is unbelievably horrible, Wemyss was saying in high aggrievement looking at her little head with the straight-cut hair and her grave profile. How old was she, eighteen, twenty-eight? Impossible to tell exactly with hair cut like that, but young, anyhow, compared to him, very young, perhaps, compared to him, who was well over forty, and so much scarred, so deeply scarred, by this terrible thing that had happened to him. It's so horrible that I wouldn't talk about it if you were going to mind he went on. But you can't mind because you're a stranger, and it may help you with your own trouble. Because whatever you may suffer, I'm suffering much worse. So then you'll see yours isn't so bad. And besides, I must talk to someone. I should go mad." This was certainly a dream, thought Lucy. Things didn't happen like this when one was awake. Grotesque things. She turned her head and looked at him no it wasn't a dream no dream could be so solid as the man beside her what was he saying he was saying in a tormented voice that he was wemyss you are wemyss she repeated gravely it made no impression on her she didn't mind his being wemyss i'm the wemyss the newspapers were full of last week he said seeing that the name left her unmoved my god he went on again wiping his forehead. But as fast as he wiped it, more beads burst out. Those posters! To see one's own name staring at one everywhere on posters! "'Why is your name on posters?' said Lucy. She didn't want to know, she asked mechanically, her ear attentive only to the sounds from the open window of the room upstairs. "'Don't you read newspapers here?' was his answer. "'I don't think we do.' she said, listening, we've been settling in. I don't think we've remembered to order any newspapers yet. A look of some, at any rate, relief from the pressure he was evidently struggling under, came into Wemyss's face. Then I can tell you the real version, he said, without your already being filled up with the monstrous suggestions that were made at the inquest. As though I hadn't suffered enough as it was, as though it hadn't been terrible enough already. The inquest, repeated Lucy. Again she turned her head and looked at him. Has your trouble anything to do with death? Why, you don't suppose anything else would reduce me to the state I'm in? Oh, I'm sorry, she said. And into her eyes and into her voice came a different expression, something living, something gentle. I hope it wasn't anybody you loved. It was my wife said Wemyss. He got up quickly, so near was he to crying at the thought of all he had endured, and turned his back on her and began stripping the leaves off the branches above his head. Lucy watched him, leaning forward a little, on both hands. Tell me about it, she said presently, very gently. He came back and dropped down heavily beside her again, and with many interjections of astonishment that such a ghastly calamity could have happened to him, to him, who till now had never. Yes, said Lucy, comprehendingly and gravely, yes, I know. Had never had anything to do with, well, with calamities, he told her the story. They had gone down, he and his wife, as they did every 25th of July, for the summer to their house on the river and he had been looking forward to a glorious time of peaceful doing nothing after months of London, just lying about in a punt and reading and smoking and resting. London was an awful place for tiring one out. And they hadn't been there twenty-four hours before his wife, before his wife. The remembrance of it was too grievous to him, he couldn't go on. Was she very ill? asked Lucy gently, to give him time to recover. I think that would almost be better. One would be a little—at least one would be a little prepared." "'She wasn't ill at all,' cried Wemyss. She just died." "'Oh, like father!' exclaimed Lucy, roused now altogether. It was she now who laid her hand on his. Wemyss seized it between both his, and went on quickly. He was writing letters, he said, in the library, at his table in the window, where he could see the terrace in the garden and the river. They had had tea together only an hour before. There was a flagged terrace along the side of the house, the side the library was on, and all the principal rooms. And all of a sudden there was a great flash of shadow between him and the light. Come and gone instantaneously, and instantaneously there was a thud. He could never forget it, that thud. And there outside his window, on the flags. Oh, don't! Oh, don't! gasped Lucy. It was my wife. Wemyss hurried on. Not able now to stop, looking at Lucy while he talked, with eyes of amazed horror, fallen out of the top room of the house, her sitting-room because of the view. It was in a straight line with the library window. She dropped past my window like a stone. She was smashed, smashed. Oh, don't, oh! Now can you wonder at the state I'm in? He cried. Can you wonder if I'm nearly off my head, and forced to be by myself, forced into retirement for what the world considers a proper period of mourning, with nothing to think of but that ghastly inquest? He hurt her hand. He gripped it so hard. If you hadn't come, let me talk to you, he said. I believe I'd have pitched myself over the cliff there this afternoon and made an end of it.' "'But how, but why, how could she fall?' whispered Lucy, to whom poor Wemyss's misfortune seemed more frightful than anything she had ever heard of. She hung on his words, her eyes on his face, her lips parted, her whole body in agony of sympathy. Life, how terrible it was, and how unsuspected!' One went on and on, never dreaming of the sudden dreadful day, when the coverings were going to be dropped, and one would see it was death after all, that it had been death all the time, death pretending, death waiting. Her father, so full of love and interests and plans, gone, finished, brushed away, as if he no more mattered than some insect one unseeingly treads on when one walks, and this man's wife, dead in an instant, dead, so far more cruelly, so horribly. I had often told her to be careful of that window. Wemyss answered in a voice that almost sounded like anger, but all the time his tone had been one of high anger at the wanton, outrageous cruelty of fate. It was a very low one, and the floor was slippery, oak. Every floor in my house is polished oak, I had put them in myself. She must have been leaning out and her feet slipped away behind her. That would make her fall head-foremost. Oh, oh," said Lucy, shrinking, what could she do, what could she say to help him, to soften at least these dreadful memories? And then Wemyss went on after a moment, as unaware as Lucy was, that she was tremblingly stroking his hand. At the inquest, as though it all hadn't been awful enough for me already, the jury must actually get wrangling about the cause of death. The cause of death, echoed Lucy, but she fell. Whether it were an accident or done on purpose, done on suicide, oh. She drew in her breath quickly, but it wasn't. How could it be? She was my wife without a care in the world. Everything done for her, no troubles, nothing on her mind, nothing wrong with her health. We had been married fifteen years, and I was devoted to her, devoted to her. He banged his knee with his free hand. His voice was full of indignant tears. Then why did the jury? My wife had a fool of a maid. I never could stand that woman. And it was something she said at the inquest, some invention or other, about what my wife had said to her. You know what servants are. It upset some of the jury. You know juries are made up of anybody and everybody, butcher, baker, and candlestick maker, quite uneducated, most of them, quite at the mercy of any suggestion. And so instead of a verdict of death by misadventure, which would have been the right one, it was an open verdict. Oh, how terrible, how terrible for you, breathed Lucy, her eyes on him, her mouth twitching with sympathy. You'd have seen all about it if you'd read the papers last week said Wemyss, more quietly. It had done him good to get it out and talked over. He looked down at her upturned face with its horror-stricken eyes and twitching mouth. "'Now tell me about yourself,' he said, touched with compunction. Nothing that had happened to her could be so horrible as what had happened to him. Still, she too was newly smitten. They had met on a common ground of disaster." Death himself had been their introducer. Is life all only death? She breathed, her horror-stricken eyes on his. Before he could answer, and what was there to answer to such a question except that of course it wasn't? And he and she were just victims of a monstrous special unfairness. He certainly was. Her father had probably died as fathers did. In the usual way, in his bed. Before he could answer the two women came out of the house, and with small discreet steps proceeded down the path to the gate. The sun flooded their spare figures with their decent black clothes, clothes kept for these occasions as a mark of respectful sympathy. One of them saw Lucy under the mulberry-tree and hesitated, and then came across the grass to her with the mincing steps of tact. "'Here's somebody coming to speak to you,' said Wemyss. For Lucy was sitting with her back to the path. She started and looked round. The woman approached hesitatingly, her head on one side, her hands folded, her face pulled into a little smile intended to convey encouragement and pity. The gentleman's quite ready, miss, she said softly End of chapter two.